So we're going to get started because um, an overview of Isaiah takes a while, so we're going to just jump right in. If you if you didn't get handouts, um, they're up here, and if we're going to do two parts, we're going to do a really broad overview, and then we're going to break it up into three different parts that um, you looked at a little bit in your homework. So um, we'll begin that. So. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump right in. (coughs) Father, thank you for this book of Isaiah. Thank you for all the things that you have to teach us. Thank you for these women who are willing to be here to sit at your feet and learn from you. Thank you that this book of Isaiah is timeless. Thank you that you have much to teach us, and we pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit out among us and write it upon our hearts, and that you would immerse our hearts in hope. And we thank you most of all for your glorious Son, and it is in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as I was working on this, I... I began to think about the conditions in our world today. I mean, we have had all of these natural disasters going on, and and then we, around the globe, there's terrorist attacks, and there's wars in the Middle East, and we have Kim Jong-un, is that right, in North Korea threatening nuclear war. And in our own country, we stand back and we hardly recognize it because there's lawlessness and unrighteousness and unrest of all kinds. There's a breaking down of all kinds of moral standards. There's, it seems as if there is nothing that we can hold on to and say, ah, that's good. It just seems like everything keeps coming, pouring in. And so as I was thinking about that, it caused me to think, that's not so different from what we find in Isaiah, is it? That's kind of what we see happening in 700 B.C. So that's why I'm thankful that we're going to be studying Isaiah this year. Isaiah is a book about hope. It's a book about hope because Isaiah wants to show us that our God reigns that no matter what is happening in our world, what happened in the past, what will happen now or in the future, that God is in control. And and Isaiah shows us that God has a purpose, a plan, a future for his people, that history is going somewhere, and God is in charge. It's a beautiful gift that we have this book to study. And the astounding thing is that it was written 2,700 years ago. I mean, is that astounding? And we have it here today at Fort Worth Press, and we can, we can take this book and we meet together in our small groups. We do our homework at home, and we can read it and study it, and it speaks to us today. It speaks powerful truths in our lives. We have a great and kind God who will not leave us without hope, and he will not leave us without truth. And we desperately need to have the words that Isaiah is speaking to us. So this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to do um, 
a flyover in our first part. We're just going to skim over some of the really incredible things that we're going to be talking about in Isaiah this year. And then in the second part, we're going to break it into those three books that we have in Isaiah, those three different time periods that we have in Isaiah. And we'll talk about those. And you have handouts and uh, in that. But the first one is just an outline. I've just given you some words. Sometimes it's hard when you're talking about big things to figure out where you are. I've just given you some big words to kind of help you follow along what I'm talking about. So the first thing that I want to tell you is there is there's no part of me that doesn't understand that you may be overwhelmed. There, I, I, as I picked this book up in the summer and started thinking I've got to do an overview of Isaiah, so I started reading and reading commentaries, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't understand anything. And so I had to just settle back in and begin the process again. And so I understand that. Because Isaiah is massive in length, isn't it? I mean, it's 66 chapters. We studied Hebrews last year, my friends. It was 13 chapters. So we have, we have a lot to cover, but that's not going to be a problem because we've, it's put together by Kathleen Nielsen, and she's given us a way to uh, do this in the nine-month period, nine period we have allotted. But beyond that, the Isaiah is massive in the time frame covered because it refers back to almost the beginning of time and it goes all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. But beyond that, there's more than that because it's massive in depth of what is covered. We Here are some of the things we're going to be doing in Isaiah. Right away in chapter 6, we are going to be going into the heavenly realm. And we have a vision that Isaiah gives us of God, high and lifted up. And and around him there are the seraphim, and all they can cry to one another is, holy, holy, holy. And they cry it not only to each other, but to the whole universe. And they can't even look at God. And Isaiah is there, and he says, I'm ruined. I'm undone. I am hopeless. There is no hope in the light of being before this holy God. And yet, he has this, this burning fire brought from the altar, and it gives him hope. And we begin to understand what that represents as we go farther, and we, we come to this incredible foretelling of one designated as the servant of God. There is this one who has come to give his life for God's people. And what we have there is... This astonishingly accurate portrayal written 700 years before it happened, before the words written were attached to a person who was born in a stable, born of a woman in Bethlehem of Judea. And Isaiah unfolds these things for us. And we will watch as kings rise up and as God brings judgment upon them. And one of the things that we're going to see and begin to understand is that Isaiah is speaking mainly to the people of Jerusalem and to the southern kingdom of Judea. We'll hear a little bit about Israel, but mainly how we hear about Israel, the northern kingdom, is going to be as one of the nations. And we're going to look at these nations in relation to God's people. And we're going to see how how 
God, the kings of Judah relate to all of those kings and those nations around them. And we will, we will begin to see that God is doing something and to grasp that he is sovereignly using all of these kings and kingdoms for his own purposes. And he's teaching his children. And we will see that God is not waiting helplessly in the wings of history for history to unfold. He is active in everything. He is moving forward and he has a day. I love that. He has a day. It is a day when the conquering king will return. He will come once and then he's coming again. Kathleen Nielsen calls Isaiah a theological masterpiece. I love that. I can't think of a better word to describe Isaiah. The book of Isaiah has been called the Little Bible because it has every large theme of Scripture almost written in it. Isaiah has been called the fifth gospel because the gospel is so clearly presented in Isaiah. There's a lot that we have to cover, it's true. We will look at warnings and judgments. They're all through Isaiah. But you will never find these warning and judgments until the very end. There's one time when we find that there is judgment without hope. But in Isaiah, as we go through this, God will proclaim judgment, and then he will speak a word of hope. So we will drink in the beauties and the complexities of all that is written here, and we will do it week by week. And I want you not to be afraid to tackle this book. I want you to be excited. I actually do want you to be overwhelmed, but not with the material, but overwhelmed with your God. Because he is a God of glory and a God of sovereignty, and he is a God of promises that he will keep. Be overwhelmed that God is taking history somewhere, that he knows times and actions and motives, and he is not surprised, and he is not hurried, and he is on time. I want us to deeply rest in the reality that our God reigns, and his king has come, and he's coming again. So, as we just kind of look at some really big picture things. There's just a few of them that we're going to look at. There's so many in Isaiah. I've just kind of pulled some out. So here's, here's what I want you to see in this just really broad, fast overview is one of the things that if you want to get an immediate grasp of what Isaiah is about, you looked at this in your homework. And that is... All you have to do is remember the meaning of Isaiah's name. Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. It's that simple, it's that profound. That is what Isaiah is about. Oh, sure, it's about a lot more, but that you want a big grasp of that? That's what it's about. It's all about knowing God and that he is the one in whom all of your hope depends now, another big theme that we will be looking at is history. We're going to have a history lesson. And what's going to happen as we do this is that we're going to bring together a vast amount of information that covers a vast amount of time. 
We're going to be exposed to God's covenants. We'll look at the Abrahamic covenant a little bit. But we'll also mainly, as Ryan told us last week, we'll be exposed to two big covenants that are going to just kind of cover all of what Isaiah is saying. We're going to look at the Mosaic covenant, and we're going to look at the Davidic covenant. And those are going to be two really important things, so we'll unfold those a little bit. And then there's also... It, as we as we begin to do that, we're going to run into the Mosaic Covenant right away in, in chapters 1 through 5. Now, chapters 1 through 5 are kind of like a prologue to Isaiah. They're kind of like um, a picture of coming attractions because really all the main themes that are going to be unfolded in Isaiah, are you're going to get a taste of them in those five chapters. And so... What is happening here is there's a covenant prosecution going on because the people of Israel, the people of of Israel as a whole and of Judah, have broken covenant with God. When the the Mosaic covenant was made, when when Moses came down out of the mountains, he came with the law and the people said, all that you have said we will do, and they were sprinkled with blood. That was a covenant ratification ceremony. And they had promised to God that they were going to do all these things, and they have broken them time after time after time. And now Isaiah is showing us what what they have done. They are being charged with these things. And so in these one through five, you're just going to see them calling these things in. They're going to be charged with the way that they have broken this covenant because they have flirted with idols and foreign gods. They have trusted foreign powers. They have turned from wholehearted trust in Yahweh. They have shown apathy and injustice toward the poor and the needy, and there is no righteousness in them. And that is what you're going to begin to see unfolded. But you see, that's the truth that's going to be unfolded in all of Isaiah. The descendants of Abraham to whom the promises had been given no longer trust in the promises of God. And instead, they are aligning themselves with false promises of a fallen world. It's not unlike us, is it? But again, in the midst of this covenant prosecution where there is this looming judgment in the midst, we are going to find words of hope. And we will find words of hope throughout Isaiah. So, in our history lesson, we will also meet the kings of the nations. We talked about that. And the question for God's people will be one of trust. It's the question that goes all the way through. In whom will you put your trust? And from Isaiah's lips, we will hear how, how God is, is using these nations and, and, and he holds them before and he says, will you trust me or will you put your trust here? But the other thing in our history lesson is that, that we're going to see behind the curtain. We're going to, we'll learn about exile and how God uses exile in the lives of his people. And the question that we will ask about that is, is exile for judgment or is God bringing grace through judgment? We'll have to see how that comes out. Now, 
That's okay, so we'll have a big history lesson, but equally important in this big, big picture of what we're looking at in Isaiah is prophecy. Now, when we think about Isaiah, that's what we think about. And in Isaiah, there is this, this kind of dance that goes on between history and prophecy. Because everything is happening, and then you have this prophecy come down that tells us something that's going to happen. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that we need to learn about Isaiah is that history has a story. That it is a story that is going somewhere, and it's God's story. And he has written us into it, and we have an important part. And, but God is doing something. The beginning has a timeline. God's history is not cyclical. It is linear. And there was a time when he created the earth, and then he gave us a promise. And that promise is going through, and, and God has a people and he and God's redemption is coming to a people and it's going to come through one whom he promised way back in the beginning through the seed of the women and so as these prophecies begin unfolding they unfold in space time and history and the one who is promised the one who is the hope of all of Israel the one who is the hope of every person in this room he is talked about so clearly in Isaiah and he's referred to in various ways in Isaiah. We, we see him referred to, he is the branch of the Lord. And when we see that, we are reminded that, that there's something about him that is, is deity. He is, he is God in some parts. And then we have that he is the shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse. And that reminds us that he is, he is also human. And we have these two incredible pictures of him. And they're just amazing in what they tell us, in just the words that they tell us. But then we find out that he is the true king, that he is the suffering king, and that he is the conquering warrior. And we will see all of this unfolded in history. And we will have promise and prophecy, and yet as we stand back from our vantage point, we are going to see that that prophecy has come true in space-time and history. And that Isaiah is going to reveal a heart of God who will not let his people go. And Isaiah is going to tell us how much that will cost God. Throughout, we will be exposed to God's absolute sovereignty. He is Lord of history. It jumps off the page everywhere you read. If you read, when you're reading through Isaiah, it just jumps off the pages. Our God is sovereign. He is absolutely sovereign. And he holds all things in the palm of his hand. And the nations are as a drop in the bucket before him. And he has a purpose for all the things that are happening. We will see his holiness and his judgments. But we will see his mercy and his grace and his love and his faithfulness to his covenant promises. Hold on to that. He has faithfulness in all the things he's promised he will do. And we will see the wonder of the purposes he has for his people. And most of all, astonishingly, written 2,700 years ago, we are going to see a picture of the one in whom all of God's promises find their yes and their amen. So that's the broad stroke. Those are the things that are going to be happening 
in Isaiah. Those are the big pictures. Those are the hope. Those are the things that we can look forward to seeing unfolded. But the next thing I've given you is that we that Isaiah also breaks down into these three large sections. You looked at that in your homework. We're just going to talk about those for a few minutes. And um, Alec, I don't know how to say his last name. Anyway, he's a commentator. Uh, so uh, anyway, he's the one we're using mainly in it as um, our, our commentator that we're going to be using. But he did, divides these sections into three messianic portraits. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that, that each of these sections is telling us something special about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's how he designates what's going on. And if you look at this begin to unfold, you'll see how that happens. So the first messianic portrait that we have is the book of the king. And I want you to know that there's in these three sections and all of these titles, we have the book of the king. And then we have the book of the servant king. And then, and then we have the, the uh, last book that we're going to look at in, in the third section. And we're going to look at these and see how Jesus fulfills all of these until he comes as the conquering servant. And... and um, so as we go back and look at the first one, I want you to know that in each of these sections, there's going to be some similarities between these different representations of the Messiah. He, in each section, he is spoken of as being endowed with the spirit and the word. And also that in each of these sections, you will find a growing emphasis that he is truly God and truly man. So, and this is all happening in Isaiah 2,700 years ago. Okay, so the first broad section, and this is your second handout, kind of, is in chapters 1 through 39, and this is the, the true king. And this is during the life of Isaiah. So when we study, this will be what we study for most of the first part of our, um, of our year, and so it's during, it happens during Isaiah's life, about 740 to 701 B.C., approximately. And in this section, we're going to be exposed to a broad history of things going on in and around Judah and Jerusalem. But the main focus is on the southern kingdom. And we will watch how the kings of Judah react to the nations around them, such as Syria, Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. So... What is going on? What are we supposed to be seeing? We are supposed to be seeing there is, a, there is this question that is out there that we're supposed to be seeing in this first section, and that is, in whom will you put your trust? And that is the question for us. In whom will we put our trust? When everything around us is crumbling, are we going to put our trust in America and America's army? And all of these things, are we going to put our trust in the Lord God? That question still hangs out there for us. But in this section, what we have is we have all of these kings, and we're going to be looking at mainly two of them, and we're going to ask, 
Are you putting your trust in the kings around you? Or are you putting your trust in the Lord God? And we're going to see evidence of this and how Hezekiah tends more to put his trust in God and Ahaz does none of that. And so we'll begin to see that. And so we will get a taste also, excuse me, in this section that there's something lingering in the background. That's why this is called the section of the king, the true king, is that there is this this thing that is hanging out there of the hope for a king like David. You see, that was God's promise, that God would bring a king like David and he would be upon David's throne and he would be greater than David. And we get a taste of that longing in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 and in Isaiah eleven ten. Just for example, in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, it is this, that for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David he will rule to establish his kingdom with justice and righteousness. Do you you get the feel that there's this longing? We want that king to come. We want that king to come. And none of these kings, not the kings of the nations, not the kings of Judah, are going to fulfill that. There is this longing for this king. And we... We will in this section. What we're going to see is that we that the people are hopeless without God, without clinging to them, and they don't know it. They aren't living that way. So, okay. So there are two other passages in this section that gives us an idea of what's going on. The first one is in two five, and it says, "O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord." That's what Isaiah is is crying to his people. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us trust in God. That's his cry to them. Nearing the end, here's what we find is going on. And Isaiah says, in returning and rest, you shall be saved, but you were unwilling. That's the picture of this section. And the section ends with envoys from Babylon arriving in Jerusalem. And here's what it says. King Isaiah shows them all the treasure of the storehouses. And there was nothing in the house, in his house or in his realm, that Hezekiah did not show them. And Isaiah ends this section with hopelessness. He says this, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which is in your father's that your fathers have stored up until this day shall be carried away to Babylon and nothing shall be left. And that's how the first section ends. And then we come to the book of the servant king. And this section is in 40 to 55. And this is a prophecy of Isaiah that he received during his lifetime. But it is speaking of something In the future, this is a prophecy. In fact, the words written in this section are meant for for Judah when they go into captivity. It is written for the time of captivity that was promised in the first section. It was written over a hundred years before it happened. 
And the questions which are being asked as we enter into this section because of the place where we were left in the last section, the questions being asked are these. Does banishment to Babylon mark the end of the history of the Lord's people? Will the weakness and unfaithfulness of the kings and the people's sinfulness cause them to be rejected forever by God? That was kind of what happened to the northern kingdom. And so this this question is hanging out there. Is it possible? Is there possible that there can be forgiveness with the Lord? Or will sin have the last word? And the question, the big question is, are all of God's promises void? That's kind of the hopelessness that we were left with at the end of the first section. But the most surprising thing happens. The section begins with these words. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Hope. Hope is spoken to these people who have been sent into by judgment into exile, and they have this hope spoken to them. And what is astonishing is it is a hope beyond anything they could comprehend. God's people will be saved through sheer grace by one called the servant. And this section is about hope when hope could not be seen. God has an answer to sin, and it will come through a servant king who will lay down his life for his people. And his triumph will come through weakness and death, not through power. And he will, God will do this for this rebellious people. Listen to what one commentator writes. The king will bring justice and salvation to the nation. Yet how will he do this? He will do it by laying aside the rope, the robes of pomp and royalty. And he will submit to cruelty and abuse. And he will be discouraged and despairing. And he will finally give his life for his people. <clears throat> Two of the, the verses that kind of bring this all together is 53, um, 10 and 11. Yes, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, and out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And the last chapter of this section says this, For the mountains may depart, and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. So for the section that started with such hopelessness, this is how we, how we end it. We're going to skip that next thing and go to the anointed, king, the, the anointed conqueror king. This is the third section. It's 55 through 66. And in this section, we're included. You and I are written into this, this section because it's a time frame from the triumph of the servant king until the anointed conquering king comes again. 
and it's a time of hope filled with waiting, but waiting faithfully with our eyes ever on God's promises. God is creating a new community in which is included Jew and Gentile and all who hold fast to the covenant of God's grace fulfilled in the promised one. He is coming a second time, my friends, and he's coming to dress us in robes of righteousness and fill us with joy and gladness. But here's the other side of the coin. Here's the time I spoke of that there will come a time when there will be no more hope. And that is those who will not turn to the Lord, and he will come with vengeance and eradicate all evil. But the call still goes out. The call is still out there. Isaiah 55, 1 says, Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And the very last chapter says this. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? All of these things my hand has made. So all of these things came to be, declares the Lord. And it goes on talking about what we should be doing as we wait. And it says this, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And so that is where we are left We are left with holding on to God's promises. We are left with trust, putting our trust in him and holding on because he has promised and his son is coming again and it may be today. And we are to keep our eyes upon Lord, on the Lord. So in closing, let me just encourage you with this. This is our story. It's a story for God's people at all times. That is what Isaiah is about. From the fall until the conquering king returns and then into all of eternity. As one commentator writes, God has had a people, not Old Testament people, not New Testament people, but his people. He has had one divine purpose, his own glory and the glory of his son who will save his people, who will worship and adore him forever and ever. So as we read Isaiah, let us be alert to the dance between history and prophecy, because in the end, it is all the same. It is God's unfolding story. The problem is that those without faith see only history. They see only the things happening right before their eyes. That's all they know. That is all their fear. That is their hope. But for the people of faith, history is not the whole story. Because we know things are not as they seem. Nations may roar and kings may rise up and seem to rule with power and impunity. But in the blink of an eye, God may bring them to nothing. In prophecy, in the prophecy of Isaiah, God pulls back the curtain for his people to see. To that we might see his unfolding promises as they go step by step. He wants his people to see where history is going to give us hope along the way to show us that indeed our God reigns. And someday the clouds will roll back and our king will come. And until that day, he calls us to live by faith and not by sight. Until that day, we are to put our anchor in God's promises 
and we know that all of his promises will be answered. And so we can tremble at his word, and we can wait with hope, and we can wait until he comes and calls our names, and we go forth and he pray for us. Father, you have overcome our darkness and our despair and our sin and our separation, and you showed us what is to come when your son walked out of the tomb. We thank you for that. We look forward to that day when we will all rise out of the tomb and we will come and live in the new heavens and the new earth. In the meantime, Lord, will you help us be faithful, that we might be a light of the Lord and walk in that. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.